The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. There was a scholar of law who stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, was written in the law. How do you read it? And he said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. And likewise, a Levite came to the place. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. And he approached the victim. He poured oil and wine over his wounds. And he bandaged him. And then... He lifted him up on his own animal and took him to an inn, and he cared for him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was the neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, the one who treated him with mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Gospel of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were to divide everyone here into groups of, I don't know, five or ten people each, and ask them to act out a biblical scene or story, almost infallibly, half of the groups would choose the parable of the Good Samaritan. I have this uh, certainty because of, you know, my numerous camps and retreats that I've been on, either as a kid or organized, when they ask you to do this activity, 
almost half of people choose Good Samaritan, guaranteed. And I'm not sure if this is just due to lack of biblical imagination. Like maybe we haven't read the Bible enough and we don't know how many amazing stories are in the Bible to act out. And some, believe me, as kids would be like really fun to act out and hilarious. I'm not going to give anyone any ideas now, but just go read the Bible and you'll find plenty of stories. Um, but I think that actually there's a, a more important reason why the Good Samaritan is always chosen. And I think it's because there are a few parables or stories in the Bible that are just so perfect and encapsulate everything that we believe as Christians and are so memorable to us and just impact our imagination so much. And the Good Samaritan is definitely one of those. Maybe the prodigal son would be another. Like the ones that you think of off the top of your head when you haven't been, you know, thinking about the Bible particularly before. And if, you, if I ask you all just to take a moment to think how you would act out that scene. How would you uh, tell that story? What would be the main point or the key takeaway that you would try to get across? And going back to my research data from summer camps and retreats, I bet 9 out of 10 would focus on the contrast between the Samaritan and then the priest and the Levite. Focusing on that, we are called as Christians to take care of our neighbors. Um, Those who are in our midst, who are neglected, wounded, beaten down, broken, and we are called to be a neighbor to them. And that is totally correct. That is present in this parable. You can't read this parable without getting that lesson. So that's good. But the problem is, is that's not the whole story. That's not the complete meaning of this parable. And if we asked the fathers of the church what they would do if they acted out this scene... Well, we actually have, we can kind of know because many of the fathers of the church, this was also their favorite parable, so we're not too far off by going to this one. And they also noticed that we are called as Christians to love our neighbors. Uh, They focused on that moral lesson, but they always unanimously focused on a much deeper point that we often can just pass over. And this changes the perspective, and it's crucial because their insight shows us that this parable is not about knowing who our neighbor is. That's a question of our mind. It's about desiring to love our neighbor with our heart. And that makes us pass from knowing to actually doing it. And that's the key, a key part of this parable. So before I get to the interpretation of the fathers of the church or their key insight... If we look at today's first reading, we see the people of Israel at a crucial crossroads in their life as a people. They are leaving behind their exodus in the desert and entering into the promised land. So when you go on a new stage in your life, personally or as a community, you always are going to have to relate to the Lord in a new way. Our Lord is always leading you on and helping you grow. And so... He's no longer going to lead the people of Israel through columns of cloud by day, pillars of fire by night, big signs. And Moses is very clear to the people of Israel that this is what's happening. And he says that God is going to lead them now from within their own heart, from the desires that are already in their hearts. And Moses is assuming that, you know, they're not going to need a special knowledge. There's no magic formula. There's no spell that they can learn to understand who God is. That, that is not happening. There's no more big signs. And this has been a temptation for humanity 
since the beginning of time, I think. You know, all those, all those who try to find some knowledge in mystery cults back in the day, or Gnosticism, or even today, Scientology, New Age. It's all about trying to figure out God, understand him, and kind of try to control him. And, you know, we figured God out. Well, I'm sorry to say that that's not going to happen. If you think you've understood God, whatever your understanding is, is not God. He's beyond our understanding. But at the same time, Moses is telling the people that the law of God is already on their lips and in their hearts. They don't need to search for it. It's already within them. And that is the case for us. And yes, this desire or this knowledge of the law of God is often obscured by you know, bad habits and evil desires that we have. But it is in the core of our being as a human person. But once again, knowing this is not enough. And I'm supposed to be studying moral theology, and this is like, if you want to know the key problem of moral theology, this is it. It's passing from knowing what, that what is right to actually doing it. You know, uh, it's, it's a real big challenge because, and I think all of us have this problem, just think of, you know, your confessions, you know, every week or month or however, however often you go, and we always come back and have the same things, it seems like. And I think it's often because, you know, it's, you know we know we know what is right, but some reason we don't have the strength to do it. So how do you cross that bridge? And here's where the parable of the Good Samaritan comes in. This legal scholar who is testing Jesus knows the law inside and out. He can sum it up perfectly. He's an A student. He knew who the law said his neighbor was. And he's asking Jesus to test him because... You know, just to give a little context, back in that day, there was a big debate among these, the Jewish rabbis who exactly their neighbor was. And why is there a debate? Because the law gave two answers. Like the Bible, sometimes it gives a couple answers and they seem somewhat contradictory. The law says in Leviticus that your, the neighbor is only the one who belongs to your community. So basically, for this legal scholar, the Jewish people. For us, you know, Catholics, but maybe even more particularly our parish or Catholics according to our own version of Catholicism, conservative Catholics, liberal Catholics, I don't know. You can put your own category there, but it's only these people who belong to you. And there was another part of the law that said, no, your neighbor is everybody. You know, the stranger you meet on the road who doesn't belong to your community, that is also your neighbor. So you can see where this debate um, was going. And when he's asking Jesus, it's kind of like us asking a politician or the pope, you know how good reporters do that. They always ask a question that's kind of a little tricky to see which side you know, this famous person's going to fall on. That's what this guy's doing to Jesus. He's trying to see which side he's going to fall on. But if you've ever read the Gospels, and I'm sure you have, you would realize that Jesus is a tough nut to crack. He's, yeah, he's, he's a hard guy to trick, put it that way. And he always has these astounding answers that, you know, real, that show that he knows what people are asking of him. And he knows how to, to respond in a way that, you know, throws the problem back on them in some ways and tricks them. And to this test, he responds with this beautiful parable of the Good Samaritan. And now we can go back to the fathers of the church and their interpretation. And there, I think there are two important details that are worth noticing of how they saw this parable. The first thing is that Jesus changes the whole perspective of the question. He was asked, who is my neighbor? But he answers, if you look at the very end, 
he, said, he asks, who was neighbor to the robber's victim? So he's going from this reactive understanding of the neighbor where, okay, who is my neighbor, to saying, how can I be a neighbor to somebody? A proactive stance. I, ho- I hope you see the difference. Um, a reactive way of seeing our neighbor is just walking through life, waiting for opportunities where th- our neighbor presents him or herself and makes demands on us because of their need. A proactive way is going out and looking for our neighbor in every single person that we meet. And if you don't recognize the importance of this, you probably haven't played baseball or tennis or any, you know, one of those sports where, like, if you've ever been in the batter's box and had to, like, you know, take pitches from a pitcher who has a curveball, a fastball, and uh, a changeup, you can't just go up there and wait for the next pitch to come. You'll guarantee you almost strike out unless you get lucky and hit a fastball. But usually that pitcher is going to have like a way of, you know, a combination of pitches. And he's going to like, okay, he just pitched two fastballs, so you have to anticipate. Okay, I think he's probably going to throw a changeup now. And you get, then you, you kind of anticipate that, you guess it, you're waiting for it, and when he does it, you just hit a home run. It's a way of anticipating. It's an attitude that comes from within. If you're, you know, tennis, if you're watching the Wimbledon right now, I think the finals are going on as we speak, so I better hurry up. <laughs> um, you know, you can't just wait for the serve to come. You have to, if you're a good tennis player, you know which serve that guy normally is going gonna, is gonna to give you. And it's the same with our neighbor. If we're just waiting for opportunities in our life where our neighbor presents himself to us, I'm sure you all know from your own experience, normally those moments come at very inconvenient times. And you're, you know, okay, I'll love my neighbor when it happens. Then it comes and you're like, you freeze, you shock, you're getting put in shock, and you, and you miss chances. Almost guaranteed. But if you have that proactive way of loving your neighbor, if you're looking for those chances, if you're trying to find opportunities, then you'll be ready for those moments. You'll pass from knowing to doing. But the second insight of the fathers of a church, and I think this is the most important one, because it goes to the core and gives us the motivation to love our neighbor, is they almost always saw Jesus Christ himself as the Good Samaritan. The one who meets humanity, and more importantly, each one of us in our own lives, in our weakness, in our brokenness, and when we are at our lowest points. So think in your own life when you personally or your family has been at their lowest point. And it's in those places where our Lord comes to meet you and touch you and heal your wounds. It's actually present in the parable because the city of Jericho, you can fact check me afterwards um, on Google, it is the lowest city in the world. Jerusalem is not the highest city, but it is the city of God theologically. So, you know, going from Jerusalem down to Jericho is a sign that this guy, this man, is going down into the depths of sin. And that is where Jesus meets him. And that's where he's going to meet us or has met us in our life to touch us, to heal us, to lead us to safety, to put us on his shoulders, take our sins and, you know, he dies on the cross for us, and pays our debt with his own blood. Jesus Christ is himself the Good Samaritan. And why is this so important? Because encountering the love of Jesus Christ in our life personally, by looking into the eyes of the Good Samaritan in our life, 
and recognizing his love, we will then be empowered to love our brothers and sisters. Why? Because we recognize the eyes of our beloved Lord in the eyes of our brothers and sisters, calling out for compassion and mercy. And once we recognize the unmistakable eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ in every person that we meet, you know, what can hold us back from really living out of love and being a neighbor to everyone we meet? So as we prepare now to receive our Lord in the Eucharist, let's ask him to increase our faith, that same faith through which we as Catholics can recognize his presence, his body and blood in what seems to be bread and wine, Let's ask him for that same faith to recognize his presence in every single person that we meet. Amen. We turn to the great kindness of God the Father, asking him to answer us with his constant help. In faith we pray. For the Pope and all the bishops and priests and deacons, that they govern the church with God's wisdom and serve the faithful with Christ's love, We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That Christ may guide the minds of all civil leaders so as to promote the common good according to God's will. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That our parish will be a vibrant community of prayer, evangelization, and charitable action. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That we may never turn a deaf ear to those who call for our help, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the souls in purgatory, that through our prayers and sacrifices, they may enter into the glory of heaven, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Today's Mass is being offered. For Tiffany Blair, we pray to the Lord. Lord For those who are sick or infirmed, and for their caregivers, that God in his mercy will draw them close and raise them up, we pray to the Lord. Lord For the repose of the souls of all the faithful departed, that through our prayers and those of the Blessed Mother, they may join the saints in heaven. Eternal rest go down to them, O Lord. Let perpetual light shine upon them. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. For the mercy of God, rest in peace. Loving Father, let us see your kindness and grant us your salvation through Christ our Lord. Amen.